Acts chapter 6 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 7. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning grateful to be able to sing your praises, to be able to open your word, uh, and to be able to call you Father. We're grateful for the cross of Christ and how it brings together uh, people from a bunch of different times and places all across history and brings us to this place so that we can have this church here to worship you. I pray that you would open our hearts to the message that the Holy Spirit has for us today. Help us to honor you with our worship. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. So, so far in the book of Acts, we have seen the development of the early church as it has gone through uh, its processes of being persecuted and its growth. And this morning... We're going to see that while it is a good church and while it is a healthy church, it is not a perfect church. And we're going to see some of the growth pains uh, that the early church experienced as many people were coming to faith and as many people were coming to worship. Uh, and we're going to see that in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Let's read that together. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So if you're going to have problems in a church, the, the type of problems that we see in these seven verses are the types of problems that you want to see. Right? The church has been faithfully preaching the Word of God, and it's also been addressing and meeting physical needs that have been presented to them throughout their area. Remember, people are bringing their sick, they're afflicted, and people are being healed. And we're seeing that, by and large, the people of the church are being completely generous with all that they have. Everybody who has extra stuff are selling off all that extra stuff so that there's no one in the church that has any needs. And because of this, and because the church is being faithful in evangelism, and because they're showing compassion on the hurting and the needy, the church is expanding quickly. And any time an organization experiences excessive growth, there's always going to be growth pains. It doesn't matter what organization it is. The church is no exception. Any time an organization 
sees excessive growth, there's always going to be growth pains. There's always going to be these unforeseen issues that are going to pop up here and there, and they have to be dealt with. And these issues, they come up when they weren't there in the smaller numbers. Well, when these issues come up, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the organization. It just means that a new issue came up that they hadn't considered before. They didn't have to take this into consideration before because there weren't that many people involved before. And here in chapter 6 of Acts, we're seeing one of these growth pains coming from a relatively healthy church. The issue that's developed is that as the church has grown, some of the people in the church are being overlooked as the provisions are being distributed. The group that's being overlooked are the widows from, the Hellen from among the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews were not native to Judah. These are people who are nationally Jewish, right? So that's still part of their heritage, but they didn't grow up in or around Jerusalem. This group has been scattered among the Gentiles for one reason or another. We don't know exactly why they were scattered. It may have been because of some of the previous exiles that happened throughout uh, Israel's history. You know, they keep getting put under judgment by God. God sends them out among the nations for certain amounts of time. And then when they come back, maybe not all of them came back. Maybe they didn't come back by choice. Maybe they weren't able to come back. Uh, but these Jews are culturally Greek. Right? They speak Greek. They're saturated in Greek culture. And sadly, as is in often the case among people of different cultures, there's dissension between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. All right? The Hebraic Jews pride themselves on always having lived in the land of their forefathers. They consider it a sense of pride that they use the language of their forefathers. They don't speak Greek, they speak Hebrew or Aramaic, the language of our people. Right? They thought they were special because they lived near the temple and that they were able to worship there. And because of these things, they would often look down on the Hellenistic Jews, which would, of course, make the Hellenistic Jews feel like outsiders. So as life would happen, some of these people would come back to maybe family or friends or something like that around Jerusalem. And then as they would exist there, maybe it's these widows, for example, they can't exist where they are. They have no way of making it. And so they come back to the area of Jerusalem to try to sustain themselves. And when they do this, they're shunned. Because even though you are part of our people, you're not our people. And with that said, though, there's no evidence in the text that suggests that the church is treating the people differently. Right? There's nothing in here that says that the reason the Hellenistic widows are being overlooked for the distribution of food was because of these cultural differences. I think the issue here was administrative oversight. The, the church is increasing in size, right? There's a lot going on very quickly. And I think what we see is that 
this fell through the cracks. And there's three reasons I'm coming to that conclusion based on what we see here. Number one, the first reason is that Luke makes a point to mention the growth of the church. Right? The very first thing he says is how, how much the church has grown. The church is increasing in size. The second reason is that Luke points out that the Hellenistic Jews were upset that their widows were being overlooked for the daily distribution of food. Right? If this were a sin issue, wouldn't you think that it would be the entire group of Hellenistic Jews that were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food? Right? If this is a racism issue, right? I don't like your culture and so I'm going to shun you, then you would think that the entire group of Hellenistic Jews would have been pushed off and pushed to the side and said, no, because you're different from us, we're not going to include you in the daily distribution of food. Uh, but we don't see that. It says the widows of the group were the ones that weren't receiving the daily distribution. And you would think that surely more than just the widows are struggling in this group. It can't just be their widows that need this part of this daily distribution. So you would think they would say something along the lines of the Hellenistic Jews were upset that they were being withheld from in this daily distribution of food. So somebody here has to have other issues if there were other issues to be had. And we don't see that here. It's just specifically the widows that had fallen through the cracks. And number three, um, the third reason I think that this is just an admin issue is that the leadership of the church addressed the issue through new admin insight, right? They are oversight, I'm sorry. Um, if neglecting the Hellenistic widows was a sin issue, it would have been addressed as a sin issue. Right? We saw in Acts chapter 5, through the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we've seen sin issues in the church. And we've seen how the church is not, that sin is not going to be overlooked by the leadership and it's certainly not going to be overlooked by the Holy Spirit. And so here, the issue is resolved by appointing men to make sure that the oversight doesn't happen anymore. And so if it were a sin issue, then it would have been addressed as a sin issue. So what we're seeing is clearly a failure of the church. Okay, and we can call it that. It was. They, they let this fall through their fingers. Throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people were called to take care of their widows. If you look in the book of Deuteronomy, specifically verses 14, 29, chapter 24, verse 20, chapter 26, verse 12. If you look in Isaiah chapter 1, all these places have orders by God and from the patriarchs to take care of widows. All right, so this is a mandate by God for his people to take care of the least of these. And orphans and widows and the foreigner would have all been considered the least of these. Deuteronomy 27, 19 specifically states that anyone who withholds justice from a widow is cursed by God. All right, so God takes this seriously and the Jewish people would have taken this seriously. And so the church missed it on this, right? They failed to do what they needed to do in this. The church obviously is full of people. People are not perfect. And so therefore the church isn't perfect, but this is not a failure due to sin. 
What we're seeing here is an issue of human limitation. It got too big, too fast, and as it always does, something fell through the cracks. And what we see here is it was the Hellenistic Jewish widows that fell through the cracks. I will say this, though. We do see a sin issue in this passage. The issue, as it was handled by the Hellenistic Jews, is a sin issue, though. Look at verse 1 again at how they handled the oversight. It says, A complaint arose because of the oversight and how their widows were being treated. Now, you might think that they had a right to complain when the church wasn't fairly distrib distributing these resources. Right? A problem exists, and the way you get problems solved is by complaining about them. And we see that the church leadership took steps to make the problem go away. So what's the issue with the complaint? Well, the word complaint used here is the exact same word that was used for the Jews who were constantly murmuring against Moses in the desert. All right? And that's not someone you want to be compared with. You do not want to be compared with the Israelites in the desert. So this isn't just bringing attention to a problem. Right? This isn't just saying, hey, we have an issue. We would like for you to address this issue. This is grumbling and speaking ill about people and God because of the problem. The Hellenistic Jews had a right to be bothered that some of their people were being neglected because of in this distribution of food. But no matter what happens to us in any situation, we are always responsible for how we handle the situation. Right? We, our situation does not dictate how we handle it. Our relationship with Christ should dictate how we handle problems in all cases. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2 verses 14 to 16, do everything without grumbling and arguing. And that word there, everything, means everything. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. All right, so there is a right way and a wrong way to handle issues that will inevitably arise among God's people no matter what happens. All right, we're always going to have issues because we've got a bunch of sinful people that are calling church home, right? We're the body of Christ. We come together as a body and we're inevitably going to fail one another. It's just going to happen whether that is a sin issue or whether that is just an issue issue. You know, sometimes things just happen. But no matter what happens, we are always responsible for how we handle the issue when it comes up. We have a responsibility to treat people the way that Christ would have us to treat them, no matter what the situation is. Each situation is going to require different methods for handling the problem. But at no point are we permitted to dishonor God or His people through our methodology. 
quoting the Apostle Paul once again. He says in Romans 12, 19, uh, 9 through 18. So that's Romans 12, 9 through 18. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Right? So when an issue comes forward, you be the person that takes the lead in honoring the other person. Don't expect, don't respond in kind. You take the lead in showing honor. It says, do not lack zeal, diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. In that, we can think, like just because you think you know what's going on does not mean that you know exactly what's going on. Right? I know this is why this happened, and I know that's why that happened. Do you, though? Did you take the time to have a conversation with that person? Or are you responding based on a rumor that you heard from someone else? Is this three people removed, but yet you know what's going on? Right? Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't assume that you know all that there is to know about the situation, especially if you haven't had a conversation with them. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Let's say you did get sinned against. Your correct response is not to sin above and beyond the sin that was committed against you. We have a responsibility to honor God in all circumstances. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you do everything in your power to make sure that you are at peace with everyone else. You can't help how other people act. You can't help how other people treat you. But you can and are responsible for how you react. So, to address the problem that has been brought forward, the apostles bring the whole company of disciples together and then they acknowledge their limitations and their calling. At one point in time, they may have been able to manage all of this. Right? They may have been able to manage the daily distribution of food. They may have been able to help out with all these other physical needs. Right, They're going around healing people, uh, casting out demons. Right? They may have been able to do all of this as well as maintain their time of prayer for the church and their preaching and teaching of the Word of God. They may have done all of that when the church was smaller. But at this point, there's likely over 20,000 people in the church. That's just more than 12 men can handle. They just can't do it all. They can't handle the burden of all the physical needs as well as all of the spiritual needs that are present in the church. So they say this, it would not be right for us to give up the preaching, uh, give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Now, that's not to say that they're above waiting on tables. 
Right? This isn't coming from a place of pride. It's not saying that they're suddenly too important to wait on tables and now it's time for the lesser Christians to go and put in the grunt work of the church while they focus on the important stuff. Right? That's not what they're saying at all. The apostles are acknowledging that within the church, there's plenty of work to do. Right? We all have work to do. God calls each of us to serve and they are affirming that their primary calling within the church was to pray and preach the word of God. Right? I keep saying we're a body and God has given us all different gifts so that each one of us can serve the body. And my gifts are different than your gifts. And the same goes for the apostles and the other men and women within the church. And we can't all do the same thing. And so the spiritual gifting that God had given to the apostles was for them to be in prayer and for them to be preaching the word of God. And so if they were spending all their time distributing food to all the people who had need, they would be neglecting their responsibility to the church if they became distracted by those other areas. And so they're going to devote themselves to prayer. They're going to devote themselves to the ministry of the word. And instead of them giving in to the, the pressures of everybody wanting, you know, I need an apostle to deliver my food. I need an apostle to, to pray over me. I need an apostle to be in my presence when I have an issue. And so instead of doing that, they're going to choose seven men who will make sure that the physical needs of the church are being met. And it says that, I love what it says about these men. It says these men were to be of good reputation. It says they're to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Now, as far as the church is concerned, we should all strive to be people who are characterized by these three traits. Right? It shouldn't just be a select few that are of good reputation, are full of the Holy Spirit, and are wise in the church, right? It's, it's something that we should all want to be. Like when, when an outsider looks in and they see you, they should say, wow, that person is really nice, right? Really honorable. They seem to have a close personal relationship with God and they're very wise, right? We should all have that. But if we're going to select people specifically to share in the work of the church, it is of the utmost importance that they have a good reputation, that they're full of the Holy Spirit, and that they're full of wisdom. Right? If that's going to be in a leadership position, if that's going to be someone who is the face of the church in these instances, then we need to make sure that the people that we choose to serve in those positions are people of good reputation. Right? People that are full of the Holy Spirit and people that are full of wisdom. And as the church picks people for positions like this, it's important that wisdom and discernment is shown through the selection process, which seems to be the case of the seven men chosen in verse 5. Right? They, they, they picked these seven guys on purpose and with wisdom because all seven of these names are are Greek names. Alright? So who are they serving? The Hellenistic Jews. And so it appears 
that the church has chosen Hellenistic Jews from within the church to meet the needs of other Hellenistic Jews. Who would better know the needs of the Hellenistic Jews than men who could relate to them culturally? Right? They've got their fingers on the pulse of these people. They know what they need. It's not to say that a Hebraic Jew couldn't have met these needs as well, but with the choice of these men, one of the necessary steps of communication could have been avoided. Like the issue between my culture and your culture, we may be able to avoid miscommunications by just having someone of the same culture speaking the same language addressing those issues. And so they showed wisdom in the people that they chose. And other than this moment, really, uh, we don't know much about these men at all. Right? Five out of these seven men are never heard of again. Right? Other than the fact, all we know about them is that they are, that is a man of good reputation, that is a man full of the Holy Spirit, and that is a man full of wisdom. That's all we, wouldn't it be nice if that's the only thing that people knew about us? That's all that they are known by. The only other thing that we know, we know uh, Stephen and Philip, they're going to be mentioned again in the book of Acts. Um, and we see, uh, we can probably glean that all of the men probably had ministries similar to Stephen and Philip. Uh, but we see through these two men that their, their ministries aren't solely just making sure that the food is distributed well. Right? We'll see next week that Stephen performs signs and wonders among people, and he's going to give one heck of a sermon. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's one heck of a sermon. Uh, so he may have even had some teaching responsibilities within the church. And so we see, with the help of these men, and I'm sure countless others are going to step up as more and more needs arise within the church, um, so we see with the help of the, these men that the church is going to continue to grow. All right, verse 7 says that the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So a problem arose in the church, and it was addressed well, and the result of that is that the church grew even more. And some of the people that were reached through this evangelism, through this uh, compassion ministry, were people who may have seemed like unreachable fruit earlier on in the history of the church. Right? The priests hated all things about Christianity. They, they hated the apostles' message in the same way that they hated Jesus. And so how do you reach people that hate you? You do it through the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word. You do it through the faithful showing of compassion to those who are least of these in the community. And because the church is being faithful with the message and faithful with the ministry, we see that many of these priests who, were, who used to be haters of all things Jesus and the church, these people are now obedient to the faith. So even those who are the farthest 
And the most opposed to God are able to be saved when the church remains faithful to the ministry and the message of God's Word. And when the church shows itself to be different from the world around it, people want to be a part of that. Right? It's when we start looking like the world that people look at the church and they go, why do I need to be a part of that? I can have infighting at my house. Right? I can go to a family reunion if I want to see brothers and sisters biting each other in the back. I don't need to come to church for that. I don't need to give up a Sunday morning for that. Right? But when we look different, then we are a light shining in the darkness and people are looking for a way out of the darkness. People are looking for hope. They're looking for a lifeline. And we have the, the message of hope, the only message of hope. We have the lifeline, the only lifeline. And they were being faithful, and even those who were the farthest from God saw the truth of it, and they came to faith. These people who were far from God found new life in Christ. And so that should... Fill us with hope. You got somebody in your life that seems really far from God? Right? Be faithful with the message. Be faithful with your ministry of compassion. Pray, pray, pray. And even those people can come to faith. And so, what do we do with this here? Alright? Just seven verses today. What do we do with this here? Takeaways that I want everyone leaving with here today. Number one, the church's main priority is always loving God. That's the church's top priority over all things. The second priority, surprise, surprise, is loving one another. Right? And the message of the gospel, being faithful to proclaim that, is way up there at the top. We love God, we love one another, and we are faithful to share the message of the church. And when the church has this as its focus, the church will grow. Right? Because we are pushing back the darkness. And God is faithful to save those with the proclamation of the message. But, number two, something to be aware of. Growth will lead to growth pains. Right? Inevitably, it does not matter what type of organization it is, even the church, growth will lead to growth pains. So go ahead and prepare yourself for growth pains. If the Lord should decide to bless our church with growth, go ahead and prepare for the fact that there are going to be growth pains. Right? Growth is going to lead to change. Right? And most people don't like change. Right? I want it the way that it's been for the last 700 years, and I don't want anything to change. But growth is going to lead to change, and unless you're one of those rare few who thrive on change, the change is probably going to make you uncomfortable. You might not get to sit in your seat. You might not get to park in your space. right? But being uncomfortable is not a bad thing, though. Our predisposition... To being comfortable is often the biggest hindrance of our effectiveness in the kingdom. Right? We want to be comfortable at all costs. And as Americans, we're used to being able to be comfortable. Right? We can 
pick the AC that we want, we get a sleep number bed that we want, you know, get the type of coffee you want, pick, pick whatever you want to be comfortable. And as Americans, we tend to have that ability to get it. And so when we start talking about like the way that the message of God gets out, which is through our proclamation, and then to do that, that means we're going to have to tell someone that they're far from God. That makes us uncomfortable. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? And so when we strive for our own comfort, then it, it stymies the, the growth of the kingdom of God. And so we can also see that with, within the church, right? All of a sudden the church begins to grow. You see people begin to become uncomfortable with the changes that comes with that. And what happens? Well, you see the growth stop because it makes everybody uncomfortable and, and nobody wants to change anything. And so we can stymie the growth of the kingdom of God through our desire for comfort. So if God should give us the opportunity for church growth, be prepared to be uncomfortable. Go ahead and prepare your heart for that now. Pray that God would bless us with the ability to be uncomfortable because that would mean that people are coming to faith, that people are filling this church, and that we get to see the work of the Holy Spirit in real time. So let's pray for that uncomfortableness in our day. Lastly, when things happen in the church that need to be addressed, right? When we've got sinful people acting sinfully, it happens, right? And sometimes it's not even sinful people acting sinfully. It's administrative problems where things fall through the cracks. It's just a somebody dropped the ball in a situation, right? There are right ways and wrong ways to handle that issue. Grumbling and complaining and gossiping is never the right way. Right? We never, we, it's never okay to go about it that way. It's a sure sign that your heart is not focused on God and his kingdom. Right? That, that is a, a sign that you are inward focused and you do not have your heart set on Christ. Where, throughout the entire Gospels, even up to the point where Jesus was beaten and crucified, do we see him grumbling and complaining about the people that were murdering him? May the heart of Christ be our heart as well. There is a right way and a wrong way to handle when things go wrong. Right? And the church here in Acts, is they're doing everything that they can to maintain unity. Right? They want to be united. And there are people from all over the world coming into this and worshiping among these people. Right? We saw that at Pentecost. And we see two different cultures right now that are clashing. But the church is doing everything that it can to maintain unity. And the only way that we can do that is if we strive to honor God in our disagreements. When we strive to honor God and handle situations in such a way that we love one another above everything else. Alright? So as far as it depends on us, we should be striving to maintain unity as well. Let's pray together. Father, it is my hope 
that we would love you in such a way that it would shine brightly in this dark world. That you would bless this church with growth and that that growth would bring change and that that change would make us uncomfortable and that we would handle being uncomfortable with grace and mercy and all the many things of the fruit of the Spirit that we could uh, spout out. <laughs> Lord, I just want to see us manifest your glory to the point where we have to become uncomfortable. Right, what would that look like for us in our families? What would that look like for us on our, in our neighborhoods? What would that look like for us at our jobs? Lord, help us to see the world as you see it. And help us to be faithful with the ministry of your word. Help us to be faithful with our prayer. Help us to be faithful with showing compassion and meeting needs. And Lord, let us see people coming to faith. Help us to love you well in all things, Lord. I ask all of this in your son's precious name. Amen.